0: Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. I thank you, God, for your goodness, for your presence. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just invite you to come. Lord, that you would come and speak to us, you would come and fill us. God, that you would come and reveal truth to our hearts and root us and ground us deeper. And God, that you would allow us to be in awe of what you have accomplished, of what you have done, and to see where we fit in this grand story of what you're accomplishing in humanity. So I bless your name, Father. I thank you, God. Just be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I had about 10 different titles because titles are important because it helps you, like, nail something down. Couldn't nail down a title. However, <laughs> the next couple of nights, what I'm wanting to look at is our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? And tonight, as you can see, I kind of have a timeline going on. Tonight, what I, I, what I would like to do is cover how did we get here? Like, how did we get to this time in human history where the indwelling presence of God is inside of us because it didn't just happen in a vacuum. Um, It didn't just happen, although we live in it, and it's kind of normative for us. But I want to take a step back and look at how we got here. Um, Next week, what I'm going to kind of look at is because of where we're at with our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the zeal that we should have Guarding this temple and how we're supposed to do that. Um, so that's kind of where we're going in the next couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> so w- why I want to talk about this is I had a slight—it it wasn't like an encounter, like a, an open vision—but it was something that I saw in my mind's eye during the student awakening at IHOPU when I was in Bible school, and I saw a picture of me floating down a river, arms open you know, just floating down this river. And I knew that what the Lord was inviting me, and not just me individually, but like the body of Christ into, was a time of complete deluge of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is so strong in the earth that we are literally being carried by the presence and power of God. That's what I felt the Lord was inviting me and into as we near his return, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to be so strong, but we have an invitation if we're going to be carried in the Spirit like that. Um, Has anybody been on a river before? Just floating. Not in an inner tube, but just floating. Okay, so when I was in um, one of the earlier colleges I went to, I went to three different colleges, 10 years, only one degree, and it's not accredited but I came out with no debt, praise God. Okay, anyways, that's some of my story. Okay, so I was in a class um, called River Orientation. I went to school in the mountains of Colorado, and I did a bunch of leadership classes, and I got to do lots of fun trips. So one of them was River Orientation, and so we went on a week-long river trip. And I remember, again, it was, we were able to get out of the boat and just float along the river. and you have to be careful because you're not supposed to put your feet down. If you put your feet down, you can hit rocks, you can get caught in all kinds of nasty stuff. So they're telling us like, hey, you have to like lift your feet up and just go with the river, right? And so that, the Lord connected that to me with the, the image that I saw years later of floating down this river. Because when the Lord pours out his spirit in a greater measure, we can participate with him or in fear we can be flailing around trying to save ourselves and trying to figure things out and be scared of the power of the river rivers are very powerful or we can be foolish and lack wisdom and be putting our feet down trying to stand up which is where your legs can hit rocks and all kinds of stuff you can get hurt okay so we have to have wisdom with what the lord's wanting to do um so we have to learn how to participate with the lord and what he what he is doing what he's saying But that's why I want to take a step back and look at what the Lord has done and how he's done it because it gives us context for what he's doing today. Uh, He really does want to flow through us. He wants to submerge us in an anointing and a power of the Holy Spirit like he's never done before and flow through us in a way that is unprecedented that we've seen in human history okay so i want to talk a little bit about the indwelling presence that it's kind of again we're in a charismatic church right so we talk about the holy spirit we believe in the holy spirit we teach our kids about the holy spirit but in that it almost can become normative like well of course of course we have the holy spirit (laughs) of course you can listen to the holy spirit you know it's it can become normative I don't want to say cliche, but it's just kind of like commonplace, right? But I want to read this verse from Colossians 1. Um, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This is Colossians 1, 20, 24 through 27. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now God has revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul is referring to the indwelling presence of Christ as a mystery, and he specifically says it was kept hidden for generations. For generations. So When we talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's just so commonplace to us, the reality of Christ dwelling inside a human vessel, like we know in the New Testament, we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. That reality was completely foreign to the human mind. It was a mystery. If you would have told someone that, they would have said, what are you talking about? How can that be possible? How could it be possible that God would put his spirit, put his presence inside of my human frame. It was a mystery kept hidden for generations, okay? <clears throat> so I'm trying to, to, to tease out the fact that it's commonplace to us, but there are thousands of years and generations of humanity that this was completely unknown to, and if they were to just be planted into our society now and hear us talking the way they do, the way that we do, they would be blown away, right? Because it was not understood. It could not be understood to them. It was a mystery that was kept hidden. Um, and I just want to touch on this because <clears throat> this, and I'll be going over this more so. Sorry if this is like, what on earth is this? We'll get to it, and we'll have it up next week too this is where the mystery was unveiled through christ and there are several mysteries in the new testament that paul refers to that because of christ and because jesus was given to the gentiles because the jews refused him as their messiah we all of a sudden we know the mysteries of the kingdom of god and the new testament talks about several different uh, mysteries that we should be aware of so I just want to read through some of those. because and, and the reason why is, think about this. Like, God, he didn't have to hide things. He didn't have to have for generations not make fully known that he was going to bring forth this man in the nation of Israel. I mean, he, he was saying things to the nation of Israel and to his people in little whispers through the prophets and he did speak to them but again it wasn't this wholesale understanding of what he was doing but why did God choose to do that he didn't have to he could have he could have put his spirit inside of humanity anytime he wanted anytime he wanted so you take a step back and you look at it like God why did you do it this way It's just kind of interesting to begin to ask the Lord because think about this. When we want something, we want it quickly, we want it done immediately, and we don't want any trouble. Right? Like we want to redo our house. It's like make sure all the finances are there, get all the people on time, get everything lined up. I don't want any issues. I don't want any setbacks, nothing. This storyline here is all setbacks it is all like not to our mind not going according to plan God's plan <clears throat> which I will get to this <laughs> to put his spirit inside of us he could have done like that he could have but he didn't because he's working in participation with broken and weak humanity um, okay so that was a bunny trail I was talking about mysteries, um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to read some of these mysteries that, again, until Christ, they were not understood. So Romans 11:25, there's a mystery of the partial hardening and blindness of the Jewish people. Romans 11:25 says, "Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery: a partial hardening has come." Kind of come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It was a mystery that God would choose to not allow Israel to see their Messiah so that we could come into the promises of God. That was a mystery that now we are supposed to understand. There's a mystery of the Gentiles being partakers of the promise of Christ. Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verse 4 through 6 were allowed to be partakers of the same promises that were given to the people of Israel. That was not understood before. And if you read in Acts 15, once the outpouring of the Holy Spirit started to be given to the Gentiles, they had to have an entire leadership convention to figure out, what are we supposed to do with these Gentiles that are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They didn't know what they should do because they didn't believe that Gentiles could receive that promise. So that was a mystery. There's a mystery of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the of, twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And then the last one, Ephesians 5:25. This is the mystery of Christ and his bride. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, so these things were mysteries, right? But now, because of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we have a level of clarity and access to these things that are called mysteries that were kept hidden for generations past, right? So now I kind of want to start looking at this board and look at God's story. Like, how did we get here? How did we get to this reality of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of God not just pouring out his spirit on flesh, but into flesh? Because the Bible, um, it's not just a collection of great stories. You know, in Sunday school, we really teach the stories about cool people and what they did, and it's not just a book of rules we are, when we are looking across the narrative of Scripture, what we're wanting to understand is God's plan. Like, he really does have a plan to what I call mature humanity. <clears throat> so from Adam here all the way across to here's the wedding supper of the Lamb, what I want you guys to think about is this, this timeline is a maturing of humanity okay that might sound a little strange so that's what we're going to kind of get into okay and we're going to start at the very beginning Um, well no before i get in sorry before i get into that a maturing of humanity i want to read from mark 13 matthew 13 sorry (laughs) because there's a reason why I see this spectrum as a, as a maturing of humanity, God's story. Okay, 13, starting in verse 24. It's the parable of the wheat and tares. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus is telling this parable about the end of the age, right? The end of the age before he returns and we receive our resurrected bodies. And he's basically saying like there is evil growing right alongside wheat or righteous people and they're asking well shouldn't we root out the weeds now and he says no because i don't know i've heard this i didn't look it up but i've heard that wheat and tares look very similar until they begin to flower and bud and that's really when you can tell the difference between them but so he's saying i don't want any of the righteous things to be uprooted i want both to come to full maturity and then i will reap the earth OK, so down here is a maturing both of righteousness and wicked wickedness. God, when he brings judgment, he does not do anything before evil is matured. And we see that in Genesis 15. Abraham was given the promises of the land, but God told him, you are going to receive this land, but you're not going to inherit it for 400 more years. Like, wow, thanks, God. Right. Right. <laughs> But the reason why is he said the, the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet complete. It was, God was going to allow another 400 years for the wickedness of the Amorites to be completed before he would bring the children of Israel back into that land. And so God, at the end of the age, is allowing wickedness to come to its full maturity along with the righteous, one, because the promises for the righteous are so great. He needs to bring us into complete maturity but also the judgments for the wicked are so great that he's allowing their wickedness to come to full fruition so that his judgment will be completely just like he is a good god and it it can be difficult when we hear horrific stories of things that are happening but we have to understand god is so just and he is so holy he will not violate his justice to come down before it is time to judge the earth. Okay. I started at the end. We're supposed to start at the beginning. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So in blue is God's glory. That's kind of how I'm representing it. Okay. And so I, I was trying to depict got what god's glory was doing amongst this spectrum of humanity okay so adam and eve were in the garden and it says that he god breathed his neshama breath of life into adam adam was made of dust just a physical frame and he came alive because god breathed into him and we know this story what happened? He was in the garden, and that's why I have the blue around Adam, because he was in the full presence of God, right? But when he sinned, him and Eve had to leave the presence of God. They were not in the garden anymore, and God's, it's almost like God's presence began to lift from where Adam and Eve were, and we know that because as you continue to read, I think it's in Genesis 4, they're cast out of the garden, and then... Cain kills Abel, and then they have, uh, Adam and Eve have, have another son, Seth, and then Seth has Enosh, and then Genesis 4:26 it says, after Enosh was born, then men began to cry out to God, so think about this, full presence around Adam, and he had the breath of God in him, they sinned, and the penalty was death, well, they physically didn't die right away, it took him 900 years to die. But he was cast out of the presence of God, and then all of a sudden, men begin to cry out to God. Why? Because God's presence was not there anymore. It was lifted. It was lifted from the earth, and all of a sudden, we enter into this time where God began to encounter, well, there's Noah, which I'm not getting into that because we can't go through all this, right, Gary? (laughs) He, He saw the board, he's like, oh, so you're just gonna cover from creation to revelation yeah pretty much so hopefully you guys can track with me but so god's glory is absent not completely absent because he still would speak to people and he and he, he encountered abraham as abraham made different altars god would come to him there's different people that god would come to those are the stories we love right and that we teach in sunday school class It's God encountering humanity. So the whole reason why God was encountering humanity is because he had this plan in his heart and in his mind that he didn't want to just dwell around his people and be amongst them. He's like, I want to be fully in them and have my presence completely around them, in them and around them, that we would be made one. Okay? So here... Somehow, Adam, he, he did not have the indwelling presence of God. But the spirit of God, I don't know all, I don't understand all of this, but something in him died. His spirit man died, and he had to leave the presence of God. So here, as God began encountering Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was giving them promises. Promises to become a nation, to have, a, to have land, and that they would be a blessing for all of the earth. That's what Adam was supposed to be with Eve, a blessing for all of the earth. But they forsook that calling. They couldn't be a blessing because they, were, they entered into death and they left the presence of God. But all of a sudden, God comes on the scene and says, hey, I have a promise for humanity. I'm actually doing something and I want to establish it. And this is the first thing he began to do was to create a nation, okay? So now, let me see if I'm losing myself and if you have questions you can interrupt me does anybody have questions okay I'm kind of a bible nerd sometimes so it excites me but okay let me see okay so now what I want to go to again I'm what I did was do glimpses of how God's glory began to appear. So once the nation was established from Abraham to Moses, that's when we see God, his presence literally coming down in a way that had not been seen before his presence coming back down, resting on the mountain at, uh, at Sinai. And it was establishing the old covenant. Um, Has anyone not heard that term before, Old Covenant? It's okay if you have not Okay, everybody has. Awesome. So a lot of times we talk about Old Testament, New Testament, right? Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Old Covenant and New Covenant is also really helpful to understand. So at Mount Sinai, God was establishing the Old Covenant. And what I want you to look at here is Moses was given the law. And I'm going to read some verses about this. The law was glorious. The law was God's glory coming down to the earth. And there's verses that say this. It was glorious, but it kept people under bondage. It kept children, God's children under the law in bondage as slaves. Well, that is not the full picture of what God was wanting to do. I want to read some verses. Okay. um, So this is the old covenant. What the old covenant did was it secured an ability for the presence of God to dwell amongst the Israelite people again. Okay. So think of this progression. God's presence was amongst Adam and it was lost. And then hundreds of years later, we're at Moses and God is establishing, hey, I'm going to bring my presence back down to the earth, and I'm going to dwell amongst people again. That had not been seen since Adam. Okay? So the old covenant, with all of the laws and the rituals and the washings and all of that, was establishing that God himself, Yahweh, would be able to be around and amongst his people again. It cleansed their flesh. Okay? Okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 through 9. <clears throat> okay, wait, I don't want to go there yet. Because I, I, I made this statement uh, before, that this is a maturing of humanity. So there is a birth of the nation, and here's children that are held under law. I want to read this in Gal- from Galatians 3. It says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The old covenant law was literally as if a child was being held under a tutelage. It was a tutor that was supposed to help bring them to the understanding of Christ. And it was supposed to help them stay away from sin. Okay, so it was glorious in that it was supposed to help them and God's presence could be around them, but... It was also a ministry, the Bible refers to it as a ministry of condemnation and death. (laughs) So, which, that's not super great. However, it was glorious, the fact that God did that. The fact that he came down on a mountain, spoke to the children of Israel, and said, hey, these are my requirements. I want you to walk in these laws. That is... Amazing that God did that. He did not have to do that. But what it produced was death and condemnation because we cannot, no one could live up to those laws. So, 2 Corinthians 3 7 through 9, it says, If the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, and it goes on to say, how much greater is the glory that we've been given by the Spirit? But so think about this. Moses was in the, the unveiled presence of God receiving the Ten Commandments written on stone, and when he came down, his face was beaming with light, and he covered his face because of it. I mean, think about this. Have you ever seen someone's face shine? that is crazy his face was literally shining but he covered it because the glory would fade it did not last and the reason why i believe that it didn't last is think about this like in our christianity if we are relating to god simply by a list of rules because we do this we still do this We a lot of times we live in old covenant realities instead of the new covenant when we relate to God is you better measure up and you better do this and you better have all things together. Um, that can be glorious for a little bit because it's like, oh yes, I want to obey you, God. And then we realize I can't obey you and I'm falling short. And what happens is shame and condemnation comes and any glory that we felt as being God's people and wanting to obey his rules fades because we realize I, I can't measure up to this. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Whereas Moses was up in the unveiled presence of God. He was receiving these laws. It's awesome. His face is shining. He comes down and the reality of humanity is like, you guys cannot live up to this. Nobody can live up to this. And this glory is just fading. It's going to pass away. But that doesn't negate the fact that it was glorious, that God did this. Um, This is from Romans 7, I think. I didn't put a address on it. It says, if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under, under sin. So the laws were written on the outside of people, right? But they were pressing down on humanity, saying, Hey, if you want to be God's people, you need to do you need to do the stuff. Because God, what he wants is his glory to be around people. But he cannot dwell with sin, right? We know that. <clears throat> okay, so old covenant. Sinai, Moses, God's glory is literally around his people he manifested his glory in very powerful ways for the children of Israel at this time fast forward this is fast forwarding a lot because this is when um the kingdom was established and I'm sorry if I'm going too fast again I don't have time but (laughs) um so fast forward the kingdom of Israel is established and They're under this Old Covenant law. That's why this blue is extending here. They're under the Old Covenant law. And we have them sinning. The sin of Dan, if you're familiar with that story. In northern Israel, they created golden calves once again. And the the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken captive into Assyria. And then Judah keeps sinning and being idolatrous. And then they get taken captive for 70 years in Babylon. And then all of a sudden, God breaks in with these promises of a new covenant. Okay, so here we have the old covenant, and then hundreds of years where they're breaking this old covenant. God's glory is amongst them, um, and he would manifest it at times, but ultimately, he breaks in when, the, when Israel was in captivity, and he's promising a new covenant, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So we're going to read those two passages because this really reveals what God was wanting to establish. And again, it's like, man, God, why did you take so long to do this? Uh, Okay, Jeremiah 31, in verse 31, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Ezekiel also spoke of this reality. He said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this new covenant reality, this just secured the presence of God around them. And it was, the covenant was written on stones. It did not change their hearts at all. It didn't secure anything for them other than to kind of be kept, to keep sin at bay from them, again, as children, Kept as children, like in our house, we're telling our kids, shouldn't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, why? We're doing that to keep them from doing really unwise things because they're, they're too young to understand what's, what they should and shouldn't do. But they, they move out of our house and they reach full maturity and then they can make all their own mistakes on their own dime, right? <laughs> um, I'm not there yet in my life. Pray for me. <clears throat> um, but this new covenant... Again, what were the promises? It was a new spirit being put inside of you. That spirit that Adam lost somehow and wasn't even in fullness back with Adam. He wasn't a renewed man. So God was promising in this new covenant, I'm gonna give you a new spirit. You're gonna get a new heart. I'm gonna put my breath inside of you and you're gonna be made new. And, your, and my laws are gonna be written on your hearts. So there's something that God was saying it's not going to be external anymore. This is going to be an internal reality for the people of God. It's a new covenant that I'm going to make with the people of God. Okay. Through this new covenant, they would become his people. Before, it's like they were, again, kept under the law as students or children or, to, or like being held under a tutor. But through this new covenant, we would become the people of God. So there's a becoming and a filling that the prophets were speaking of. So this physical frame made of dust, just like Adam's, was being given a promise of the internal indwelling Spirit of God, where his laws were inside of us, where we would have a new name that I am God's people. I am his. And it would be an internal reality. And again, this was a mystery. It was a mystery for all of that time that that is what God was wanting to do. Okay, so I want... I touched on this a little bit, but the ministry of condemnation will never produce maturity. Okay? The ministry of the old covenant, and again, as sometimes how in our new covenant, we kind of live like we're in the old covenant, it will never produce maturity in us, okay? The new covenant Jesus made with us and what he longed to make with Israel as a nation is not a new set of rules but there are rules, but it's not a new set of rules, but there are rules. (laughs) Okay. It's about becoming a people of God led by God because he's the shepherd of our souls. And he is leading us into ever increasing life, being filled filled and filled and filled and filled and filled. What we don't understand is God, his government, it says in Isaiah 9, it says the government will rest upon his shoulders, and of his government and peace there will be no end. He's an eternal God with eternal life flowing within him, and this deposit has been put inside of us. So that's why at the beginning when I was talking about this, seeing myself float on this river, and and recognizing it was god wanting us to enter into the participation of the outpouring of the holy spirit that would both carry us be around us but also flow through us it's because we really don't understand who's living inside of us i don't understand who's living inside of me we don't get it but this is something that was in the heart of our eternal god whose glory shines and shines and shines. I was just talking to EJ about that on the way here. We were running errands, and there are storm clouds coming. And um, something that Jason says that I always love is, above every storm cloud, the sun is still shining. And that's exactly true about God. He is seated on the highest throne in the highest of heaven, There is no devil that he has not conquered, and there is no storm that he is not above. And what he is doing up there is shining. He's simply shining in glory and in perfection and in beauty. And we have some stuff that we have to walk through (laughs) as we near his return. But we have to be so fixated on that that what God wants to do is completely surround me with his glory. He wants to... He wants to manifest his glory through me in a way that I don't even understand. And it's the glory is that shining, powerful presence of God that is unhindered, unchanged by anything in this life. It is really, a really hard concept to grasp when we're going through difficulty. It's not easy, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And I really believe that as people of faith, as we near the return of the Lord, he's going to bring our understanding, awaken us to that reality more and more because we're going to be maturing into his bride. We're, we are going to be the mature wheat at the end of the age that he is gathering together to himself. And he's going to awaken our understanding <clears throat> of who we truly are and who we truly, what we've truly been given. Um, I was talking about the ministry of condemnation never produces maturity. <clears throat> I just want to hit on this briefly. When we are under a spirit of condemnation and we're under these rules and the I shoulds and I should have done this and I can't believe I did that or however it manifests in your mind, you feel shame and you feel not enough, however that looks like to you because it's probably different for everybody. But the result is this. I'm looking at myself and I'm looking what I, at what I didn't do what I didn't do well enough, what I could have done better. And it's, we are looking at ourselves. And on some level, rightfully so, because we know, again, we know the rules, right? We know the rules of what is right and what is wrong. But just the other day in prayer, it's like I heard the Lord say, like, look up, look up. Stop looking at yourself. You are never going to be mature if you keep looking at yourself never it's not going to happen so every time we have that spirit of shame or condemnation pressing against us saying like man you're not measuring up look up look up to the face of god who is shining ever present who has not just promised the new covenant but he came and fulfilled it and it's a reality now it's a reality now that the glory of god is dwelling inside of me it's a reality now that I am, I'm not just under bondage of a tutor and under, under the law. I am now able to walk in the law because he said to me, Hey, look up. You're my daughter now. I know you messed up. I'm going to clean you up. Keep going. And that's really hard for us sometimes to understand. But part of it is look up. Stop looking at yourself. We will never become mature when we're constantly focused at ourselves and at our sin and the ways that we didn't measure up we have new covenant promises a new reality living inside a new spirit a tender heart towards God a tender heart towards God he said he's going to remove the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that means tenderness towards God when it it talks about in Romans 5 that Jesus even when we were enemies of god that means you know have you ever had an enemy or you wanted an enemy because they did something really bad your heart is hard and you want nothing to do with them the declaration of the bible is that every single one of us that is our reality in sin we were enemies of god wanted nothing to do with him we had a heart of stone towards god towards his personhood towards his ways and he's given us a heart of flesh that's tender that now we desire to move towards him. But even that's not perfect, right? Because our stony hearts get revealed pretty quickly if something isn't going our way, right? But what God wants to do is take that hardness and tenderize it and allow us to trust him, allow us to be filled by him again and have faith and believe once again. He's removing that hardness, giving us a heart of flesh, This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. My body, your body, has now become a temple for the presence of God. And that was a mystery, but he's wanting to fill us and fill us and completely overwhelm us, especially as we are coming into the return of the Lord. So, I kind of want to go through a little bit more of this and then um, we'll pray. So new covenant was manifested through Jesus and he went back up into this eternal God's glory of dwelling place. But before he left, he promised that he would send the helper. He would send the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Acts 2, that all of a sudden, God came and began pouring out his spirit. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Young, old, men, women, Jew, Gentile, which again, they didn't quite understand at that point. (laughs) Everybody. He wants to do it to everybody. Why? Because he's looking back here and he's saying, man, I had people dwelling in my presence and that was great. But that wasn't even the fullness of what God was wanting to do. He's saying, I want to dwell inside of people. And then, as Jesus returns, and the Father comes back, and he's establishing his kingdom, talks about in Revelation that not only is God in his people, the glory of God in us, but then we're surrounded by God's glory because now we're living in the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> It's like, this is ridiculous to think about. Um, it's ridiculous to think about that this is what God wants to do, right? And it's almost like foreign to our minds because we're in our day-to-day, right? We're in our day-to-day. You just got a new baby, and that with that is awesome, and it comes tiredness, right? Some of us have financial problems or family problems or... Work is difficult, like all these things. But I just really believe that God, he wants us to be aware of this story to take a step back and realize we're just in a blip of time, like right here. But oh my goodness, what a good time to live in. Like, I'm so glad I'm here and not back here. (laughs) Like, I'm really glad. Look at this, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh fully available hearts being made new that is what we are doing that's why we want to have prayer meetings that's why Gary's doing outreach like helping organize outreaches like guys we don't live as if we truly know what we have inside of us and I just believe that God it's like more and more he's going to be awakening us to the reality of who we are and he's just going to say hey like, start speaking, start laying your hands on people and praying because he's about to do something so profound and it's not because of us. It's not because of us. It's because of his story and that he's about to return. Um, anyways, I think I'm going to end there. I want to pray, but again, next week what I want to talk about is having zeal for this temple, okay? Because we really do have the ability to allow this amazing temple that can be full of the glory of God. We have this scary ability to let other things influence and give place to the devil. And I know we've all felt the sting of that and more and more I'm just like Lord enough is enough enough is enough right <laughs> and God has us all on a journey but it's like each one of us here there is something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about in your life that is maybe bringing like some hardship and destruction and the Lord saying enough is enough like close that door shut that thing down because you need to be full of my glory um, I want to partner with God I want to partner with God for what he's doing in these coming days and, um, I believe that that's one of the reasons why this church exists is God's like, Hey, do you want to partner with me in what I'm doing? <laughs> um, so I do. All right. So I'm going to pray. <clears throat> so father, again, Lord, I just thank you for your story. Got this plan that you have. that is so much more complex than what we even touched on tonight. God, it, even just looking up the verses, some verses, it's like, oh my goodness, there's so much to what you did and what you're doing. Um, Father, I just pray, God, you would awaken us. Awaken us increasingly to the knowledge of the glory that has been poured out in us. And Lord, even as we prepare for next week God, that you would just be speaking to us, God. There are things you're saying. Enough is enough. This attitude is not working anymore. Um, this way of relating to this person isn't working anymore. This, the way that you're not being thankful in this area of your life is not working anymore, God. Whatever it is, that enough is enough, God, because we want to be alive in the Spirit of God. We want to walk with the Spirit. We want to talk with the Spirit, God. This, just as Pastor Scott spoke on Sunday, that He's a real person living inside of us, and you want us to participate with you to release the kingdom of God. So I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to understand the little bit that we have, but God, I'm asking, increase it. Increase it. And Father, I just thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. you for joining us this week until next time